Welcome to Explore FI Canada, where we investigate the financial independence topics important to you. Join us as we learn how to optimize our lives, save money, and invest for our future. We'll go coast to coast interviewing experts and chatting with Canadians about their inspirational FI journeys. Policy Me is Canada's easiest way to buy life insurance. In about 15 minutes, you'll receive a free, no obligation quote and an instant decision. Plus, most people won't require a medical exam. Visit explorifycanada.ca forward slash policy me to get your quote today. Hey, Chrissy, here we are again. Somehow we're always doing this on a Friday. I know. Why is that? I don't know, but it's a good way to end the week. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You know, the, the comments in the Choose FI Canada group were always, you know, what did you do to improve your week or make it wealthier or feel better or whatever. And uh, our guest today has posted in there a few times, as as we have as well, Chrissy. And it does feel good to record these on a Friday because it is a positive way to end the week for us. Yeah, I love it. This is my favorite part of podcasting, just chatting with other Canadians about their journeys. Yeah, we're going to have another journey on the show today. But before we do, just a quick update on the cash flows and portfolio situation. We did announce that we were going to do a show on the the winner's case. That's been postponed a little bit. It'll probably early in the new year when we release that. Just an FYI for everybody. And those of you that have talked to Mark and approached cash flows and portfolios, uh, thank you very much. We appreciate that. And uh, yeah. We'll uh, stay tuned for more updates. Yeah, looking forward to that. We just want to give them a bit more time so they can get all the right information and do a really good case study. For sure. So today's show brought to you by the middle of Canada, Sterling. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Explorify Canada, longtime listener. I'm glad you're joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure is ours. Yeah. So if you don't already know Sterling, our listeners, he is the blogger behind Learning to Fi. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So it's it's quite a new blog. Did you just start it within the last year or so? Uh, actually, I started a, a couple of years ago, but was I've been more active on it recently over the last year. Okay, cool. So give us a bit of an intro to yourself. So I have uh, a big interest in personal finance and investing, do-it-yourself investing with a passive approach. And uh, so I've got a wife and three kids and I'm an analyst by nature and by profession, so that's uh, kind of how I got into all this. Yeah, one of the emails that you sent us uh, about your journey here says that you know you started a, a fair ways back, but you didn't get very serious about your FI or your investing journey. Uh, you know, you're uh, you're closer to our age bracket, shall we say? And I was the same way. I kind of worked. I was ignorant about uh, investing and all the rest of it. How did your journey start? Yeah, when I started my job, um, I was fortunate to have some you know older colleagues that encouraged me to invest in our work uh, pension plan or superannuation, and so that was kind of my starting off point. And then as the, the years went by, I just kind of got more interest into it. And a former colleague that I used to work with actually then moved on to become a financial advisor, and and then brought me on to them. So that was kind of the next big step. And then you know a series of events happened where all of a sudden my eyes were opened up to the MER fees uh, and, and just how that impacts your portfolio. And I, I couldn't unsee that. And so I, I figured out my exit and I've been DIYing since. Yeah, let's talk about the MERs just really quickly here because some of our listeners may not be that familiar with it. And it is something that is the biggest sort of change that you see from being 
you know, either under management or in some sort of bank high fee mutual fund. And on your blog here, I'm not going to try and uh, overly promote your blog today, but it is a, a point because you brought it up is you've got an MER fee calculator on there. And this reminded me a lot of the one that Larry Bates has in Beat the Bank, which is really good. And this and so is yours is you plug in some basic numbers and you can really see the stark difference between sort of your robo advisor or your DIY option with lower fees versus uh, potentially the funds people may have had previously with higher fees. What was your thoughts on building that out on your site? Because that was such an eye-opener for me, I wanted a, a tool that people could just go to and be accessible to to do that. There used to be another website I used to go that had since uh, stopped working. I was no longer doing that, so I decided to build my own. Mm-hmm. And the, the part about it is you can, as you say, you can play with the numbers in that, um, but it makes some assumptions that, you know, your passive strategy and the active strategy are going to be getting the same return, which I think is very generous. Um, I, I think we're we're probably in the same camp as uh, uh, passive is going to win out in the long term because generally active management uh, lags in performance. Chris, you might want to debate us on that. <laughs> Let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. No, not prepared for a battle today. <laughs> oh, come on. That's what makes it fun. <laughs> we already got some backlash from our episode with Liquid. <laughs> <laughs> yes, fair enough. Today, we're enjoying passive investing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you mentioned that it took you nine years to go from starting your job to DIY investing. And so let's touch a little bit on that because, uh, as you mentioned, it's a bit of a different environment now than when you started. What makes you think it's easier to invest on your own these days? Yeah, when I first started, I got familiar with the Canadian Couch Potato. That's really what my whole portfolio was is modeled after. And and I did that in 2012. And since then, the all-in-one ETFs from Vanguard are now possible. There's Wealth Simple. Uh, Quest Trade is a lot more popular. It's just so much easier, and there's so much more information to get into it now. From when from when I started, I spent months researching the couch potato because I I couldn't believe I'm like this is too good to be true. What's the catch that I could save all this money in fees and do it myself? But yeah, no, it's it's it is what it is. So yeah, it's for new people just starting. You don't don't need to wait nine years, and I don't recommend yeah. do it. Do it today. Yeah. And even back then, when the Canadian couch potato was quite new, his portfolios were quite complex. Like I think he had one called the Uber Tuber that he got rid of quite soon after. But I, I saw that one. I, I think I found an old PDF where I, you could see what he added in there. And it was very complex. So yeah, even he has simplified a lot in that time. I see Dan's got a new book out, a new Couch Potato book. I'm I'm excited to read that. It sounds as though it's going to be geared towards the beginner DIY investor, which is excellent. It's a, mm-hmm. a space that needs more information for everybody. Yeah, I agree. If anybody's read that, send us a little uh, synopsis, a little review of it, because I, I haven't gotten around to it yet. Now, one of the other things that you brought up here with us is that the investing portion, you kind of basically got dialed in, but something else that you've talked about in your blog and in the email to us was finding a sweet spot. And I think this is an interesting subject because it comes up for a lot of us on our journey to FI because it's such a personal journey. It's finding this sweet spot between frugality and optimization. And it's not an easy one to find. It's sort of a constant pressure, if you will. And sometimes it sounds like it was pressure for you. So 
speak to us to how that looked on your the beginning part of your journey and how you've worked on that. Yeah, so kind of around the same time I started with Money uh, Canadian Couch Potato, I found uh, Mr. Money Mustache. So going through all his stuff and frugality as a muscle. What was the other one? The short-term itis about thinking of everything of in a, you know a ten-year purchase. That aligned with me already being somewhat frugal. So I yeah tried to dial into that and did that for a number of years. And then when my wife and I got together, I was still in that mindset of you know trying to be as smart with spending as possible, and it was too much. Like she was already a very good saver, and it was like I was trying to. Uh, to get blood out of a stone, like to take, to get her to spend even less. And so it, it felt like deprivation and, and, and obviously called like caused some, you know, some arguments in that because it was, it wasn't really her that needed to change her spending. It was more, I needed to change my own and, and figure out what was important to me. So over the years, and this is like more recent, I've kind of swung that pendulum back from being like focusing on everything that I'm spending, being more relaxed with the spending to go out for lunches, do extra things, you know, with people and that, and just not worry about it as much. So yeah, I'm not as optimized. I always chuckle because Chrissy usually mentions in in the episodes, like when you're optimized, things get boring. And I'm like, I'm not optimized and it's still boring. Yeah, but that's just more, <laughs> but that's because of my passive stra- investing strategy. There's always things to look at as to, where can you find savings? And it's it's an ongoing evolution and changes from year to year. So can I ask you, how did you get to that point where you became more comfortable with spending more in some areas? Because did that mean that you had to extend your timeline out a bit? How, how did you build that in so that you could be comfortable with it and that made you happier with this different pace? I'll tie it back to the mental health aspect, actually, and kind of relating it to, to COVID and and realizing through COVID that I had uh, anxiety. And so that's being managed now. And so I knew that I needed to change the balance of my spending, but I had a hard time doing it because that was holding me back. It was like, no, I need to focus on saving, need to focus on that and trying to control that. So having that managed now, I can look back on those decisions a little bit clearer, a different lens on it and be like, yes, I need to focus more on happiness, my mental health and the big saving pieces and big investing pieces are really automated. I've I've got that set up. Um, So the smaller things are, yeah, they still add up as money mustache would say with that short termitis. But so you have to monitor that, but overall happier and less focused on the small things. That's wonderful. And did your timeline actually increase? Did the, Will it take you longer to reach five compared to when you're going really, really hardcore? Yes, definitely. Okay. And and I've actually stopped even tracking what the timeline is because uh, I think more in terms of the slow fi now, I'm trying to focus more on the now and be financially independent, but I'm not looking to be financially independent as soon as possible. I know it's going to happen at some point in the future and just make sure that I'm I'm keeping a thumb on it, that it's the balance between that and living in the now. I think that's one thing where I find, I've mentioned it recently, is that even though I'm still tracking, there's definitely things that I can, I can squeeze a little tighter on it, but I do really resonate with that sort of slower fi thing. And and it's really been a change in the community's voice. You know, we kind of heard that when we talked to Marla as well. And you bring up the mental side of it. And I think that's such the important thing. And that's much more of the topic we're talking about these days. So how has your 
psychology of money changed over that period of time not just not just with the uh the big swings the pendulum between frugality and optimization but your your money mindset what has helped you improve your mental state with that uh yeah so it's it's definitely related to to that so like i used to consume fly content regularly listening to podcasts one after another after another and uh, you're hearing all these incredible things that other people are doing and they're just crushing it right and if you're struggling personally you don't have the mental bandwidth to be able to investigate all those things and action on all of them and so what i found for myself was i started getting you know guilty that i wasn't doing enough or you know, kind of, you know, just down on yourself in general to be like, oh, I feel like I should be doing more. And then you just end up beating yourself up. And so that's why I've, I've taken periodic breaks away from five content if I found I was feeling that way. So understanding that I don't have to get there really fast and I should be focusing more on what's making me happy in the moment. And again, I attribute that back to understanding and managing anxiety, which I didn't realize I had for the last, you know, number of decades, that just puts things into a clearer view. Yeah, I think recognizing that mental health aspect, and I'm really glad that you are open about it and bringing it up because uh, as a person who's had anxiety and depression in the past, I think it's important to take away that stigma and reveal our stories and, and what's brought us here. And as much as I wouldn't want anyone to have anxiety and depression, I feel like if you dig into it and you really try to work on it, it can teach you a lot that's valuable and can help you in the rest of your life. When you know how to deal with those issues, you really look at what's at the root of it and it can help you become a much happier person than if you just go along and not recognize it and try to ignore it. I think it's brave of you and it's great that you're sharing your story. Absolutely. Thank you. And it was interesting too, because it was it was COVID that really brought it to the forefront. I always just thought I was an overthinker. It was moderate, right? It was just bubbling under the surface for for all this time. And, and like I said, now looking back with that lens of all my life decisions or all the different things that I that I've done when it comes to finance, uh, can see how that shaped my decisions. Yeah, in some ways, it's it's a benefit, right? Because it pushes you to act, but uh, it becomes a problem when it interrupts your daily life and pushes you to do things that are a little too extreme. Yeah, a friend of mine had had said uh, when I was explaining this to him, he's like, "Oh, so that's why you were so focused on learning to invest and all that because you were worried about it." And I said, "Actually, no." It was the opposite. I found it as a place of retreat because I'd already gone through the Canadian coach of Tato and passive investing was my mindset. Just take what the market gives you. That was out of my control. So I wasn't trying to control that. But what I could control was my saving and my spending and, and how much I was trying to invest. So that's what I focused on. And so if you know things weren't going the way you're wanting them to go in your life, like that was an easy place where I enjoyed it. And that's where I really front loaded the work and the effort that I get to reap now was was doing all that you know 10 years ago so this is uh, there's a few things that are occurring to me here you said earlier you were an analyst and then you just said that you thought you were just an overthinker does this all kind of roll back into this you know we've talked about it a little bit is like this analysis paralysis I've had that and that gives me anxiety is that kind of where a little bit of this was as you're going, okay, I'm optimizing my savings and spending and all this. And you're just like, just 
analyzing the heck out of it. And then is that a source of anxiety? Because I think it has been for me in the past, looking back at that. Definitely. Yeah, that definitely played into it because there there were so many things and you don't know what's the first thing I need to work on. And, you know, people are house hacking or doing these different things. And and uh, you have to make your own decision as to what, what life you want to lead. But it, like I said, it's it difficult with hearing all the things that other people are doing and you feel like you need to go a millimeter in a thousand directions. So focus on what you can do. Is that the simple solution to analysis paralysis? Because I was looking at, Chris, you just brought up a comment. I saw one recently where somebody had been listening to, uh, what the heck were they listening to? Now I'm going to be stumped for it. But they had like a whole page of notes about each brokerage and you know the all-in-one funds. And there's just so much information out there. Clearly, I looked at the page and I thought, well, that's excellent. They paid attention really well. But now they're going to have to try and decipher all of that. Which leads to that, you know, anxiety, that analysis paralysis. Like, what do I do? I'm new at this. What's the right answer? And of course, we know there really isn't a right answer. There's the right answer for you, right? So, what's the quick solution, Sterling? Like, what is the solution to analysis paralysis? I think I'm still trying to figure that out. But generally, the less options, the better. <laughs> Beqt and and leave it. P- pretty much, and and that's what I, that's what I advocate for for beginning investors is just start, start with wealth simple, set it automated, don't, uh, and forget it. Or if you want the all-in-one fund, because you think that you're going to move into, say, a, a core four couch potato type model in the future, then you'll start with Quest Trader. You know, again, some some discount brokerage that you could easily set that up. Yeah, complexity is not, not the path you want to start on. No, it's not. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I've I've brought this up before too. Is you know most of us when we start off, you you know you're trying to create something that's automated. It's something that's regular that you can get comfortable with. And that first thousand dollars, the first ten thousand dollars, the first twenty thousand dollars, it's important. It's going away. It's not so important that it's perfectly you know optimized or put where you want it. It start get get the build a habit. And then as you learn more and in your own time, then you sort of, you get it exactly where you want it after you've absorbed the information rather than just going, oh, I'm standing in front of a fire hose and I don't know what to do, right? That's the way I felt at the beginning too. Yeah, the biggest thing is to just start and you can make changes along the way. Mm -hmm. The, The analysis paralysis, I've definitely had that. It's, I have to pick it perfect right now and perfect is the enemy of good. Yeah, that's a good quote. I like that one. Now, you mentioned in your most recent blog post that you read and listened to some books recently. And just what we're talking about right now, the book you read was called Advice That Sticks, How to Give Financial Advice That People Will Follow. I haven't read this book. It sounds interesting. What did you think of it? You know, We're kind of talking a little bit about financial advice here, not per se in what to invest in, but in sort of how people should think about it or get started on the journey? Is there any anything you can pull out of that book that uh, might make us want to read it? Uh, the book is more directed at financial advisors, but I found it interesting. I actually got uh, or was made aware of it from the uh, uh, Ben Felix's podcast. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Rational Reminder. Rational Reminder. Thank you. It, yeah, I, I recommend the book. It's really the to, to put a different turn on it, it's the hand-holding that an advisor needs to do for their client and how to walk somebody through all the decisions and all the different uh, fear-based decisions and, and anxiety that they may have and, and to make them more prepared because you can give somebody advice and they might not action it 
even though it's going to benefit them and they walk away just doing the same thing and hurting themselves. So that that's what the book was for is, is targeted on, on how to approach those problems. I think that's interesting because that's kind of what we're talking about here is if you're, if you're DIY is you're, you're, that's the missing link of telling yourself, like you can sit there and, and crunch the numbers and go, yeah, this is the right decision. But then the mental part of yourself is convincing yourself to do that type thing. Right. Absolutely. And I like uh, Morgan Housel's quote of, uh, you don't have to make a perfect financial decision, I believe is what it was. You just have to make a reasonable one. Mm-hmm. And it, it's always the balance of psychology versus math. You you might make something that's doesn't make the most math sense. Maybe you're not making as much money or there's an opportunity cost there. But if it makes sense to you mentally that you're going to be more comfortable with it, then then that's what you go with. Yeah, and that's the whole concept of satisficing, you know, uh, not picking the perfect answer, but the just settling with what's satisfying enough at that point and, and making peace with that because we can't always make the perfect decision. But if you do your best at the time and move on, then a lot of times you get a little bit closer to the right decision for you. So I, I think that's great. Now, with this book, Advice That Sticks, I'm wondering, because we've talked before and you mentioned that you sometimes mentor or talk to younger people at your workplace about finances. Have you been able to apply anything from this book that's helped in the way that you give advice? I hadn't had to, actually, because the the, the three people that I had helped did want to move forward and do things. And uh and they they basically just set up like those all in one fund accounts and and set it oh, up nice. automatically. So there wasn't much resistance there, uh, fortunately. <laughs> that that is lucky because a lot of people when you start presenting this info they get overwhelmed and then they think oh I'm just not even going to do this. So that it's great that you've happened to meet some people who are motivated and willing to keep the ball rolling. Chrissy, let's take a quick break for this episode sponsor, and we'll be right back to continue talking with Sterling. Have you ever listened to a podcast with great content, but terrible audio? I know I have, and I've bailed on shows because it's too painful to listen. If you're a podcaster, you need to nail your audio. But if you're like me and have no idea how to do that, I know someone who can help. Max from Fix Audio is Explorify Canada's official editor and mixer. But I also like to call him my personal podcasting instructor. With Max's help, I've effortlessly and affordably improved my audio and podcasting. Now, just so you know, Fix Audio isn't your run-of-the-mill podcast production house. Instead, Max provides white glove treatment with hands-on personalized service. If you're ready to take your podcast to the next level, reach out to Max at Fix Audio. That's F-I-X-A-U-D dot I-O. Okay, we are back. And now we're going to switch directions a little bit. I want to mention a fun little calculator that Sterling has on his website. It's the savings calculator. And what it does is it takes the future value of of something that you spend and the money that you spend now and how much it will add up to over 10 years. So uh, you can adjust uh, what the payment is, the frequency, whether it's a one-time purchase or something that repeats over time. And it's kind of astounding when you enter your numbers in there and, and it's shocking to see how much it can add up to. So can you tell us a little bit more about the the idea for this calculator and um, why you think it's useful for people to dig in and and take a look at it? Absolutely. Yeah, this was the the first calculator that I put on my site. And and again, it is an extension of of Mr. Money Mustache's idea of uh, his short-termitis post. So just took it one step further. He he gave some, you know, some number multipliers where you could just... uh, 
just you know times it by 752 and and that gets you to i think your your weekly 7% uh, how much the value would be after 10 years so this one just allows you to to play with more numbers you can change the frequency whether it was a one time purchase or daily weekly biweekly and they give you five different things that you could kind of all add and stack on top of each other to see how that how that uh, shakes out after 10 years so it's you know maybe you defer a purchase well, I guess you'd have to defer the purchase for 10 years. But if you defer a purchase or you reduce your spending, you buy one last coffee a day or you reduce your cable bill by $50 a month or whatever it happens to be, you can key that all in there and see if that was invested at 7% for 10 years, where could that money, uh, what could it be worth at that point? Yeah, when you you have some sample numbers in there and it, it's just pretty regular stuff that people spend on you, $1,500 for a new couch one time and the hot holidays, you say, <laughs> 5000 bucks a year on, on the holiday gifts and, and food and all that. And cable TV for 100 bucks a month, cooking or, or not not cooking, I guess, you're eating out 50 bucks a month and then three bucks daily for your caffeine. That after 10 years adds up to $113,851. That's significant. And I think a lot of us, we spend this money without realizing the long-term impact of these small and larger purchases over time. Yeah, absolutely. I just did some quick math. I was thinking about 15 bucks is probably pretty normal for people that are out for lunch, you know, if they're away from home for lunch, 15 bucks a day. So the quick math on that is 78 grand and that's without earning money on it. That's just a straight cost. And it's interesting because you put those savings multipliers in there it's a quick mental thing to go, I spend this every day. So if I times this by ballpark 5,000 or 5,200, whatever it is, that's like, you can instantly kind of go, hmm, that actually is a lot of money over a long period of time. I like this kind of, it. It this is one of those sort of underlying fire FI kind of mindset shifts that you need to make. And we can, we can, we can come back the other way and say, well, keep spending on what you value. But at least this gives you the understanding of what that long-term cost is, right? Do you still apply that in your regular daily life? Or is this one of those over-optimization things for you, Sterling, where it's like, I need to step back from multiplying everything by these numbers? This was one of the cases where I stepped back a little bit. I still think of this with every purchase. It's part of my, whenever something's coming up, but you're not going to defer a couch purchase for 10 years. It might just be, <laughs> might just be two years, right? Or that, that sort of thing to the kids are a little bit older. So it's, it's making some assumptions that that remains the same for the, for that full 10 year period. But yeah, this was a huge focus of mine when I first started. This is what caused, you know, the rift between my wife and I and you know, me trying to, you know, like pull back on how much we we're spending on things. Like, and the idea isn't to, eliminate all these things that you value but realizing if you eat out less like one time less a month which is fifty dollars a hundred dollars a month but you do that for 10 years that's just a, a habit change which you can extend and and that could easily add up to tens of thousands of dollars yeah and, and a even simpler way to figure out the math but let, let's say you cut out an expense that's a thousand bucks a year you multiply that by 25, that's $25,000 less that you need to save in your nest egg to reach FI. So that is, I think, a really quick way to measure it and say, oh, that could cut 25 grand out, out of the number I need. That That's significant. So yeah, you, you can turn it into a positive thing. But again, if you obsess and <laughs> get too crazy about it, it, it may not be the healthiest way to approach uh, the FI journey. I, I really like that. That's I look at it the, the same way is... Uh, for whatever your spending is for retirement, 
if you can cut off $10,000 of spending, so go from $100,000 spending to $90,000 spending, that's Mm $250,000 you don't have to save. That's massive, right? It's, It's a lot. And I think these, you know, this kind of tenure mindset and these savings multipliers, they may sound difficult to use at the beginning for people that are new on the journey, but they become more automatic. Once you build in the habits, like Sterling said, is you can go, okay, I need to step back a little bit from this and and not really hyper scrutinize everything that you do, but it becomes more automatic that you just kind of think of something and going, oh, I'm paying that every week. So that's going to be X amount over a period. You don't have to spend as much mental bandwidth on it because it becomes familiar to you. Yeah, exactly. Do you still feel like you're in the danger zone where you could go back to that, where you're you're teetering on the edge between deprivation and healthy frugality? Or do you feel like you've learned the lessons and that you're not really gonna, going to fall back into the same traps? I think there's ebbs and flows. I wouldn't necessarily consider it a, a trap. As I said, my my anxiety is being managed right now, so I can look at things with a much clearer. So no, I don't see myself falling back into that. But um, I kind of ebb and flow between I really want to focus on vesting. I'm going to, you know, spend this month and I'm going to have try to make a no spend month and just do that periodically rather than trying to do it every month, which was not healthy. I have a question for you. Just wondering about, you know, we've had quite a few content creators on the show before. And then a lot of people that, you know, don't have a creative outlet for their FI journey was starting the blog, something that you did because you wanted to educate others? Or was it more of a bit of a cathartic thing for yourself to work through the your thought process and your own journey? For me, it was to help others. I wanted it to be a place where I could refer friends and or other colleagues to say, hey, you don't have your financial health in order, order, go check this out. It's actually really easy to start. You don't have to pay these high fees. And you can talk to a financial planner and 20 years, but right now you could do it yourself and set it up. Yeah. I was wondering when, you know, you shared a fair amount of personal information in your, in your updates there. So I always wonder when I see that in people's content, whether they're putting it out there for others or almost putting it out there for themselves as, you know, a bit of an introspective look and say, Hey, this is, this is what I'm doing. Not as a, as any kind of comparison, but as, as a way of just sharing with the community. Yeah. And that, and that part, it was for both. It was to show what I'm up to and also that cathartic part to talk about. Um, but I, I noticed that yeah, mental health isn't really discussed in the FI community. So I wanted to bring that forward to say, hey, this is what I've seen in myself. This is what I've learned. Other people may be going through similar things or have uh, you know similar uh, stuff holding them back that I did in the past. And, uh, and it's okay to take it slower. You don't have to do it all today. You don't have to optimize everything. Ideally, you want to. But if you need to take a break, if you need to pick off one thing at a time, that's totally reasonable. It's, it's all depending on, on how you're feeling, and it should be tied in with that mental health uh, aspect. Yeah, I really like the tone of, of your blog. It's very friendly, approachable. It's like a friend guiding you through. I, I really do feel like it serves that purpose that you wanted to be able to just steer people to the website and just say, read this and you'll you'll figure it out just by reading the, you know, getting started kind of articles that you have on there. But I feel like the tone in all of your writing is very much like, I'm with you, I'm here, I, I can help you. Whereas I think other people have more of a, like, I've been there, done that, and now you listen to me. And it, it's not like that at all, at all when I read your material. And I, I think it's, it's nice to have that sense of community and 
uh, I, I know that you also value a lot of the community that's in the Canadian fire space. For instance, I know you regularly meet with one of our old friends, Mr. Prairie Fire, <laughs> which I think is so cool. I, I'd love to talk to him again. It's been so long since we last chatted with him. Yeah, actually, I just uh, hung out with him for a few hours uh, a couple of days ago. <laughs> Very cool. How's he doing? He's doing really well. It's nice to hear. Did you have a craft beer? I did. Oh. <laughs> I'm jealous. We'll save that for outside the episode. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us more about how you, because you, you reached out to us when you joined the community and you started getting more involved. You've been reaching out to a lot of people and it feels like to me that you really value that, those connections with the people. And can you tell us a bit more about how that has affected your journey into FI? Yeah. So kind of taking it back to like when I first started the blog, uh, like I said, I started a few years ago. Like I've, I, I signed up for a, a three year domain reg, uh, registration, which I've already renewed. So that that's how <laughs> actually how old it is, but I didn't really start publishing content to year and a half uh, after I'd, I'd initially done that. And the funny thing is, yeah, I reached out to Mr. Prairie Fire and talked with him years ago before I was actually re- really publishing things. So that kind of, that started there. He's from the same city I'm from, so we happened to run into into each other in person, and I recognized him uh, <laughs> from Facebook profile and chatted with him there and stuff. But so we recognized each other just from both posting on the group. But yeah, it's important to me in making the connections with people like yourselves and and other ones to expand the expand your social network, but also get different perspectives as to because not everybody wants to be a passive index investor like myself and and just set it and forget it. And that's that's just what it is. Some people want to be way more active with stock picking or they want, you know, sector ETFs or like whatever it is, real estate. There's so many different avenues. And I'm interested to learn more about them to understand what's driving people towards those types of things. And then if somebody comes to me with a question like from the blog or that, I can kind of speak to it and point to it. I wouldn't be an expert, but I could then pass them on to somebody else that may be able to help them. Dividend investing is another big one. Yeah, I agree. I find that the community, it it really is there to help. And I, I find very few people are in it just to, uh, to, take, to take. Most people are in there to actually give to others and help lift each other up as we all go move along this journey. And I, I think there's so much value in connecting with that community. So if anyone out there is feeling alone in their journey, because I hear this a lot, when you find fire, you, you feel very alone because very few people know about it and mainstream media portrays us as this fringe movement. But really, when, when you find uh, other like-minded people, it's so powerful to know that you're not alone and you're not crazy for doing some of the things you do. And it actually works, right? To actually meet people who have, have reached their goal or who are getting close to it, you you realize it, it it does work and you can apply it to your own life. And seeing a variety of people do it, that that helps as well. And, and one of the things that I, I've done in, in shifting my approach with with interacting just w- with people who aren't in the community is I used to talk about that savings calculator and be like, Hey, did you know, if you don't have that Starbucks every day, you'll save this amount of money. And they're like, that, you know, that's not even worth it to me. And they just disregard it, hand wave it away. Huh. So I've changed the approach to to say, Hey, did you know that investing is super easy? <laughs> uh, you can just do that. And then kind of transition towards mm. like, how do you 
get more to invest is, oh, here's some other concepts that you can do. So kind of change the tone because I found other people would just push back so hard on the, ah, you know, saving that coffee. That's I'm not mm. going broke because I'm spending on Starbucks. I'm like, okay. well, that's like the stick, right? You, you use more of the carrot, which is the, the treat of earning money from your investments rather than the stick of, you know, you got to cut back, you got to cut back. Yeah, exactly. Does any of this tie into, so coming back to this list of books, because this is where I'm interested here in this one, is there's another one on here called The Scout Mindset. And what we've just been talking about just in the last few minutes is, is about a little bit of changing your mindset, recognizing biases, recognizing when you're wrong, things like that. What were there? This book sounds like another one I'd want to read too. Uh, give us a little bit of a rundown on that one, how changing your mind is important. Yeah, absolutely. So one of my interests is critical thinking, uh, skepticism, and like science literacy is another one. So on my blog, I've mentioned numerous times, and I'll tell anybody that listens, my, my favorite podcast is The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And so I've been listening to that for about six years. So that kind of really set the foundation for me to, to understand, you know, what are logical fallacies and biases and how do they play into things? How can you take science literacy and under understand the world around you? So related to finance, it's very difficult to do critical thinking around, you know, financial things like what's better, real estate investing or is dividend investing better? And everybody has their own biases. So this book, The Scout Mindset, is just kind of an additional piece to that. And so the author kind of makes it very approachable as to how do you approach the world? You have to, as she said, like hold your hold your opinions lightly, hold your identity lightly be open to input, be open to opposing views uh, to try and, and understand. And you can take what you want to apply to your your own decisions and, and your own how you how you view things. But it's uh there's a lot of good examples in there on how cognitive biases just play into your everyday decisions and and kind of the, the definition of, of the scout mindset as she says it is what allows you to recognize when you are wrong and seek out your blind spots test your assumptions and change course. Mm -hmm. I like that. So the critical thinking piece is a personal interest of mine, which I kind of, you know, self-study a little bit on the side, but it's also very closely related to my my job as well with being being an analyst and, and the type of work that I do is constantly challenging assumptions and trying to find out more information. And you also mentioned that you've been working a lot on project with diversity and inclusion. So that kind of this seems to dovetail together a little bit with that. Yeah, it does. Our, my organization actually started uh, some book clubs and, and diversity inclusion is is uh, a huge program that trying to to expand on and get more people involved. And, and I was fortunate to have a work colleague get me involved in that. And yeah, I've joined the three book clubs and, and learned a lot. And, and it very much ties in with how do you challenge your own biases and assumptions? Absolutely ties in. Mm -hmm. So what is uh, what are those um the association, the group talk about when in diversity and inclusion. Uh, yeah. So the, the book club isn't specifically talking about, you know, critical thinking, but it is talking about biases and, and they're so they're, they're closely related. So as a separate initiative related to that diversity inclusion, we're also having bias training at work as well. So, so that dovetails into, into each other. So yeah, there's, there's overlap there. No, oh, I think it's nice to hear that this kind of training is going on. It, it's 
there's so much happening in our world right now. And I think the more all of us learn about um, diversity and inclusion and all these kinds of issues that they're, like they say, it's intersectional. Everything affects everything else. So I think it's great that you are sharing this information. And on your blog, you actually have sort of a reading list of the books that you've been reading lately. And you have, how is it, three three books here on diversity and inclusion that I haven't heard of any of these ones. And um, I've been reading a lot of books on this kind of in this area lately, and uh, I'll definitely be adding those to my list. So go check out Sterling's blog if you want to check out the books that he's been reading. I've I've got to get better at my audiobooks apparently because my reading list is so far behind. <laughs> you gotta. That's that's the only way I read. Because uh, <laughs> these are like the eight time audiobooks. <laughs> it's like it's like auctioneer talking in her ear the whole book. She's done in ten minutes. Yeah, pretty close. <laughs> Sterling, before we let you go, can you share with us, this is a cross-Canada podcast, right? So we haven't identified exactly where you are, but you're central Canada. Are there anything uh, about your lifestyle there in particular that help you or are an advantage to you? Or what are your local hacks for uh, your FI journey? You said you had kids. Is there something you can throw out there for our listeners? Uh, I don't think there's anything that's regionally specific, but we're not in a high cost of living area. So that's also a huge benefit but yeah using your your local resources your library your your free parks and that we get cold winters here so there's it's uh make sure you're investing in in good winter clothes and, and enjoy the outside yeah that low cost of living certainly helps and now i and i'm assuming because you you're working from home it's probably easier to uh find employment even if it's not right in your area nowadays with COVID allowing people to more and more people to work from home. So even if the cost of living is lower there, you can probably find income that is higher. And so you're, you've got a bit of that geographic arbitrage going on. Yeah, that's definitely a huge benefit. Fortunately, I've been with my company for quite a few years and, uh, and this just pushed the policy forward to be able to work from home. And I've, I've really been enjoying it. Have, I, I work with, uh, with people on a regular basis and lots of meetings and discussions. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a good experience working from home. Yeah, it's good for podcasters like us too. Because <laughs> we can talk to people in the middle of the day more easily. Okay, here's one for you. Low cost of living area. Does that make you pro pay off the mortgage first or pro invest first? Invest first. Okay. Huh. <laughs> yeah, with mortgage rates still low, yeah, it's it's all about investing. The opportunity cost of you know easily a five percent difference. That's I can't leave that on the table. Yeah, you're even thinking of get, dipping your toe, or have you already started the Smith maneuver? I researched it, but there's lots of pros to it, and uh, it actually came back to me being the single point of failure to executing all the trades and and doing all the maintenance of that because i wanted to do it myself the tracking your adjusted cost basis and that i've done that before so that's that's not a big deal but my wife being more risk adverse me i already have my plan as to what my couch potato portfolio and like it's a 75 25 split equity and bond and uh and so the smith maneuver would add a layer of complexity, which if I was to fall back into the ways where I didn't have the me mental bandwidth to ne necessarily keep up on these things, I didn't want that to be uh, a cause for concern. So so right now I'm just holding off on it. Yeah. Plus, I don't have a readvanceable mortgage. Yeah, smart decision. It, it's not simple 
thing to do. So <laughs> you really have to sit down and, and think about if you're ready to take it on, if you plan to DIY it. I made the decision to not DIY it because, as you mentioned, there's a lot there to deal with. It seems simple, but there's a lot, a lot under the surface. I think we can wrap this up, Chrissy, with uh, identifying that Sterling's blog is called Learning to Fi because this is a learning journey and you put that right in there that you're still figuring things out as you go. So all the listeners that are new to this or been are in the doldrums or wherever they are, we're all just learning to fi. So where can people find you, Sterling? I'm generally on Twitter. Uh, that's the only place I'm at. So it's at, I believe at learning underscore two underscore fi. Okay. And the blog is, is it .ca or .com? You're .com. Learning to fi.com. You got it. Awesome. Chrissy? Parting comments? Thank you very much, Sterling. Again, thank you for your courage and sharing your mental health journey. Uh, I think more of us need to be talking about that to normalize it for people who are maybe struggling on their own and not realizing that there are others out there like them. So I think you're a friendly voice in the community to reach out to if anyone has similar struggles. Uh, uh, you've always been very kind in uh, how you reply to other people in, in our group, Choose FI Canada. So I hope that others can uh, learn from you and take some hope from hearing how you've uh, found your way to the other side successfully. So thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sterling. We'll see everybody on the next episode. Thanks for listening. If you've been getting value from our content, please support us in the following ways. Leave us a review and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. Tell your friends and family about us or use our referral links at explorefycanada.ca forward slash recommendations. All of our show notes can be found at explorefycanada.ca. You can also find us on our other websites, figarage.ca or eatsleepbreathefy.com. Our show is edited and mixed by Max Desmarais at Fix Audio. That's F-I-X-A-U-D dot I-O. Episode transcripts were created in otter.ai.